Good morning, church. It's a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. I love that song that we just sang, that forever he is glorified, forever he is lifted high. Um, just something about that song in particular, it's, it is, it's impossible to sit in a worship service to me and hear that song and sing that song and not just be transported into a mode of just pure worship of lifting up Christ, uh, our King and our Savior. Um, beautiful song, beautiful truth uh, this morning to sing with you. By way of introduction, uh, my name is Matt, uh, Matt Robertson. I'm in my final year of uh, the MDiv program, Master of Divinity, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which is our denomination's seminary. Um, I'm also part of the Momentum program, which is why I'm here this morning. Uh, Momentum is a program offered by the Orchard Network that trains uh, future pastors, future church planters, future missionaries to do the work of the gospel. Uh, so as, as Pastor Jared pointed out, it is, it's an amazing privilege to be in a church uh, that is so supportive, so encouraging, and that gives opportunities uh, for the next generation of preachers um, to, to do the work of the gospel. It's an incredible privilege, and I thank you as well this morning uh, for joining in that work. Most importantly, though, uh, my, wife and Amanda, my wife Amanda and I have been members at the Orchard for a couple of years now. Uh, since we moved here for me to go to Trinity two years ago. So even though we're normally at the Arlington Heights campus, it is, it's truly a joy to know that we're with family um, this morning. Oh, we're always with family when we're with the people of God, but to still be within uh, our orchard uh, family, even as our local body of believers, is, is truly a joy to be with you this morning. Well, if you have your Bible open, uh, I hope you'll keep it open during the time that we have together. And if you don't, then grab one and open it up, uh, or your, unlock your phone and scroll to your Bible app, as the case may be. We'll actually be looking at a single verse today, uh, Romans 15, 13. Uh, it's, the, it's the prayer at the end of the passage that was just read for us today. Romans 15, verse 13. Well, in addition uh, to my other responsibilities, I also work as a barista, uh, making coffee and espresso drinks. I love coffee. Uh, it's been a hobby of mine for years. Um, I've just been doing it, um, I'll say professionally, sure, for the last, uh, for the last year or so uh, on the side. But Pastor Colin has this fantastic illustration uh, about sermons on a single verse, which is that uh, sermons on a whole passage are like a, a pot of brewed coffee. So you put a lot of coffee grounds into the filter, you let the water just seep through so that the most valuable parts essentially are filtered through. Um, and then in the end, you have a full pot of coffee. But a sermon on a single verse, he says, is like espresso coffee. Espresso coffee, you use about the same amount of coffee you would use for about a 16-ounce cup of coffee, uh, but you ground it into a super fine powder. Uh, it's almost like a baking powder. And then pack it into uh, a tiny chamber and force hot water through at several times atmospheric pressure uh, to force it through, you end up with about an ounce and a half of uh, espresso coffee that is extremely um, robust, extremely uh, powerful in flavor. So that's what we're going for this morning with a sermon on a single verse. Is we, we want to take Romans 15, 13 and squeeze as much, of it, as much out of it uh, as we can in our time together this morning. And I trust that this, this amazing verse isn't going to disappoint us today. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So we're going to primarily be looking this morning uh, at the idea of hope, the God of hope, abound in hope. And here's something that we all need, and, and we all need more of it than we already have. You know, our world is in chaos, and people are hopeless. And so often our lives are in chaos, and we feel hopeless. And then we turn to Romans 15, 13, and we find that God is the God of hope. We find that it's possible for us to abound in hope. And in such a broken and hurting world, the only response to this is, how? And I'm glad that you asked, because God has an answer to that question for us this morning. So this morning we're going to look at three key aspects of hope that are found in this verse. The God of hope, the path to hope, and then the life of hope. So we'll look at the God of hope, then the path to hope, and then finally, the life of hope. So the very first thing that we need to understand uh, in order to think correctly about the God of hope is the meaning of hope itself. And the English language presents us kind of with a difficulty um, in understanding this um, because in English, we can use hope in the sense of a false hope. Uh, so we might say, I hope it snows today. You can hope all you want, but you're not getting snow in August. We better not, at least, get snow in August. But when Paul talks about hope, he talks about a sure hope. And when he refers to the God of hope, it's not we hope there's a God. It's that God is the reason for our hope. He's the basis in our confidence in this hope. It's going to happen because God says it's going to happen, period. This is what Paul means by hope in this verse. So then what does it mean for God to be called the God of hope? It's a marvelous phrase, really, if we think about it. God is the God of hope. So hope is defining of who he is. He is the only God of hope. So all other so-called gods are gods of hopelessness because God is the God of hope. Nothing is ever in doubt for God. You know, we worry about having enough money um, to send our kids to school um, or to college. We have worry about having enough money to pay the bills, having enough money to retire. We, uh, we see family members, we see friends making choices um, that concern us, to say the least, and we feel totally unable to control this. Uh, we have so much in our lives that, that we question, that's unsure, unstable, so much that we, we can't control as much as we would want to. We turn on the news. Um, on a global scale, we wonder what could possibly happen next. So there's still chaos, still war in the Middle East, and it seems like it gets worse every year. North Korea pushes the envelope with yet another long-range missile test getting further and further. I mean, think of our own country in the fall of this past year, uh, the chaos and confusion surrounding the presidential election leading up to it, 
um, the, the night of and, and morning after and even for weeks to follow is just chaos. Our world and our lives are characterized by chaos and doubt. But nothing is ever in doubt for God. Scripture tells us that the nations are a drop in the bucket for him. That, that he's measured the oceans in the palm of his hand, measured the heavens with the span of his hand. He has total control over the entire universe, from east to west, from north to south, past to present, present to future. He is totally in control of the entire universe, and nothing is ever in doubt for him. And the amazing thing is that for us to know God is to come into the experience of hope. So we don't need to be anxious or worried about anything. And Scripture tells us this repeatedly. Uh, so Matthew 6, 25 and 26, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then Paul in Philippians 4, uh, in verse 6, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And these are more than just naive sayings. So imagine, as an alternative, imagine a college freshman receiving this advice. Don't worry about your grades. You don't even need to study. You just take care of yourself, do what you want to do, everything's going to work out. Just let your grades take care of themselves. Now, if the freshman really takes this advice to heart, things aren't going to work out so well for her because grades don't take care of themselves. Students take care of grades. So why is this any different when Jesus says, let tomorrow worry about itself? The only difference is that Jesus is addressing this to people who have placed their hope in the God of hope. So when Jesus says, let tomorrow worry about itself, he really means trust God to take care of tomorrow. The God of hope, for whom nothing is in doubt. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. He's the only one for whom hope is a defining characteristic. And when we come to know him, we come into the experience of the hope that defines him. So the first aspect of hope is the God of hope. The second one is the path to hope. Paul's prayer in this verse isn't just that we know about the God of hope. It's that we ourselves would abound in hope, that, that hope would overflow from us. So what does the path to hope look like? How, how do we get there? Well, first, the verse says, we are filled with all joy and peace. And notice in this verse that Paul prays that the believers be filled with joy and peace so that they may abound in hope. So in order to abound in hope, first we have to be filled with all joy and peace. And to understand the point, uh, we need to be really careful, uh, again, to understand exactly what Paul means by hope. Uh, we already said that when he talks about hope, it's a sure hope, 
Um, but we need to make one more distinction, which is the distinction between uh, objective hope and subjective hope, or the, the distinction between actual hope and the distinction between our confidence in that hope. So the hope itself is God, but then there's, there's our confidence uh, in that hope, our experience of that hope. So when Paul prays that believers would abound in hope, he's talking about our confidence, right? He's not, he's not saying that we should be extra saved or something like that. Like The hope is the hope. It's, it's God. It's not changing. But we want to abound in our confidence in the fact that that hope is truly hope. So hopefully an illustration uh, will make that a bit clearer. So imagine that 100 people uh, are attacking your home. I want to present four different scenarios as to how this could go. So the first scenario, 100 people are attacking your home. You have no one to help you. You're home alone. So you have no actual hope. It's 100 against 1. Um, you have no confidence, and you shouldn't, and the result is despair. It's 100 to 1. You don't stand a chance. Uh, scenario number 2. 100 people are attacking your home, and you have 1,000 reinforcements at your back, but you don't know it. So you absolutely have actual hope. It, it's, you outnumber them on a scale of 10 to 1. It's, it's 1,000 against 100. You, you have hope. You're going to win but you don't know it, so you don't have confidence. You think you're in the same situation where it's 100 to 1. So even though you, you actually have hope, uh, you don't have confidence in it. Scenario number three, 100 people are attacking your home. You think you have 1,000 reinforcements, but actually you have none. So you have tremendous confidence. You think it's, you think it's 1,000 against 100, and then they show up and you find out, oh, it's, uh, it's 100 against 1. And so you had confidence, but you had no actual hope. And then finally, scenario number four. A hundred people are attacking your home. You have a thousand reinforcements at your back, and you know it. So you have tremendous reason for confidence, and you have tremendous actual hope. The battle's practically won, and you know it. So here's how this verse relates, uh, or here's how this illustration relates to the verse, to Romans 15, 13. When Paul talks about the God of hope, the God of hope, he's talking about those 1,000 reinforcements. So God is the God of hope. So the battle's already won. But then when he talks about abounding in hope, he's talking about our confidence. So it's, God doesn't change. The 1,000 reinforcements, the God of hope is there. But we want to experience more and more confidence in that hope. We, we want to be more and more sure that we have those reinforcements, more and more sure that God is the God of hope, to abound in hope and overflow with hope and confidence because of our conviction that that is true. And all Christians struggle um, with worry and with doubt sometimes. But for some, uh, the experience is one that could be described as chronic uh, anxiety or even depression. So it may seem like joy and peace and hope are impossible, at least for you. So on your best days, you feel normal, and on your worst days, you wonder how God could, how could ever love you. You wonder how any true Christian could think the things that you think and feel the things that you feel. 
And so thoughts like these might run through your mind. There's no way that God could still love me. If I really had faith, I wouldn't be stuck in this mess. God wouldn't waste his time with someone as needy as I am. If I were really a Christian, I wouldn't feel so hopeless and so alone at night. And if these thoughts sound familiar to you, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, that God cares for you, and that God is concerned for you. He promises to walk with you through it all. This verse doesn't tell you to produce joy and hope. It doesn't say find joy, find peace. It says be filled with joy and peace. God does the filling. We just receive. We just receive his gifts. But before we move on, I don't, I don't want to leave it there. I want to acknowledge the complexity um, of, of these struggles. Because just because you still struggle with anxiety, with depression, doesn't mean that you haven't prayed. It doesn't mean that you haven't prayed long enough. It doesn't mean that you haven't prayed hard enough or prayed with the right words. In John 9, Jesus' disciples see a blind man. And they turn and ask Jesus, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus tells them, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God promises to work all things together for good for those who love him. But he doesn't promise to do it this week. He doesn't promise to do it this year. He doesn't even promise to do it in this life. The answer is to pray to the God of hope. But we have to be really careful that when we're praying, that we don't think of prayer as a sort of rubbing the magic lamp to get the genie to come out and give us our three wishes. God is the God of hope. The answer is to pray, but we can't tame God. He, he wants what's best for us, but we don't, we don't always know what's best for us. We, we always want the easiest path, and that's not always what's best for us. That's not always the path that God is going to walk alongside us through. But do take courage. Do. Because our God is the God of hope, and He does fill his people with joy and peace. Notice also that he does this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right in the verse, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this verse, we believe in God the Son, we pray to God the Father, and it is by the power of God the Holy Spirit that the work is actually accomplished. So all three persons of the Trinity are deeply involved in this, in this verse. It's the Holy Spirit in particular who empowers us to abound in hope. So if you're a Christian and the experience of confidence uh, is not one that characterizes your life, the answer is to pray to the God of hope and to allow the Holy Spirit 
to work through you so that you might abound in hope. So one central part of the path to hope is to be filled with all joy and peace. The next part of the path that we'll look at is to be filled with all joy and peace in believing, the next phrase of the verse. And this is the key phrase uh, to understand, uh, to understand what it is to have hope. So if you hear nothing else today, and I really mean this, if you hear nothing else today, this is the part that I want you to hear this morning. There is one and only one path to hope, and that is in Jesus Christ. One path, Jesus Christ, is the only path to hope. To to our culture today, that seems like an intolerant thing to say, or even an arrogant thing to say. So how, how can we possibly say that there's one way to God and that every other religion in the world has it wrong. Isn't that intolerant? Or isn't that, isn't that a bit arrogant of you? A lot of modern people have this idea that God's at the top of the mountain, and we're trying to get to him, and there's all these different paths up. So Christianity's got one path. Buddhism's another path. path um, Islam's another path. The Hindus have found another path. Uh, but ultimately, it's the same God at the top of the mountain, We're just kind of finding different ways up to them. And here's the problem with that analogy is, in a sense, you could say God's at the top of a mountain, and in a sense, you could say we're trying to get to him, but the problem is we can't. It's not not a matter of finding the best path from from Chicago to Toronto. It's a matter of figuring out how to add two and two together to get seven, it's just not going to happen. It, it's, it's not a matter of sitting and thinking through it enough. It, it doesn't happen. There's, there's one way. It, we can't ever be a good enough person to get to God. We can't, we can't raise our kids well enough. We can't, we can't volunteer enough uh, at, at a shelter or, or help out our friends enough to, to earn credits or anything like that. It's, it's impossible. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. Two and two don't make seven. It, just, it doesn't change. We, we can't get to God by being a good person. But this is where the Christian gospel comes in. This is where the good news comes in because God has made a way for us to get to him, and that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the God of hope and his infinite mercy and love has made a way for us to get to him. And that way is through Jesus Christ. It is only in believing in Jesus Christ that we can find hope. And if you're here today and you've never committed your life to following and believing Jesus Christ, then this is truly the only part of today's sermon that matters for you. Because the danger would be that, that you hear what I'm saying about Jesus being the only way, and you write that off as, as, as an opinion or as being intolerant or something like that. And then, and then earlier when we talked about anxiety and depression, or later when we talk about the life of hope, that you latch onto that, and it becomes this kind of self-help thing where 
I, I, I just need to, to try harder and I can get through anxiety and depression. Or I just need to try to live that life of hope and, and that'll get me to the hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it, it doesn't matter what else you do. If you don't have this one right, the rest of it is pointless. And your time, honestly, for the rest of the sermon, your time would be better spent praying that God would show you that Jesus is truly the only path, the only way to God. Praying that God would show you that that is true instead of listening to anything else that I'll say this morning. Because this, this is foundational. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And if you do pray to him, you can have complete confidence that you, you won't be ignored, you won't be neglected, because God promises that, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you pray to him, he will not ignore you. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, I would urge you to do so today. Why would you run from the God of hope? Why wouldn't you run to him? Run to him today. The third part of the path to hope that we'll look at is prayer. So I want to remind us one more time that this verse is a prayer. I don't want us to miss the importance of this truth. So Paul longs for his friends to experience joy and peace. He longs for his friends to abound in hope. So what does he do? He prays. He prays for them, that God would fill them with joy and peace so that they would abound in hope. So now an application uh, for those of you who, who by God's grace, don't struggle um, with anxiety and with depression. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who do. So there's other things you can do. You can listen. You can encourage them. And please do. You should do those things. But pray first. And then pray last because God is the God of hope who fills his people with joy and peace and who causes them by the Holy Spirit to abound in hope. So this verse shows us that the starting point is in the God of hope. It shows us the path to hope. And finally then, what does it look like to actually live this life of hope? Living a life of hope means that we are to be people of confidence in a world of fear, and people of hope in a world of despair. It means that when we grieve, we don't grieve as though we have no hope, as the scriptures tell us. So even in the face of death, we have hope. Martin Luther King uh, has this great quote uh, about, about death as a Christian. He says, death is not a period that ends the great sentence of life, but a comma that punctuates it to more lofty significance. So as a Christian, when you reach death, it's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's just a comma that moves you on to the best part of the sentence, to our eternal life. So even in the face of death, as a Christian, thank God we have hope. So we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope because our confidence in God, that he will work all things together for good. So abounding in hope means that when we watch the news, we're not driven to despair 
where we just can't function. We're not driven to disillusionment where we just pretend like it's not there or like it's, it's out there and it won't get to us. Um, we're driven to our knees in prayer because God has everything in control, even when it doesn't seem like it to us. He, he, he is the God of hope. He has everything in control. Nothing is ever in doubt for him. So abounding in hope means being more and more confident that your anxiety and depression are temporary, um, that God will alleviate them, whether, whether this week, um, whether in next year and five years, uh, or whether you reach the end of your life. And, and that, that still is something that, that you've carried with you all the way. When you reach that comma at the end of life, at that point, God totally removes that from your life. And, and, and brings you even more into the experience of absolute hope where he is. So then finally, th- does this sound like an impossible ideal for us today? I think it can uh, at times, but listen to Paul describe his own life and his own hope. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, uh, starting in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then again in Philippians 4, and starting in verse 11, Paul writes, that I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul himself is an example, an incredible example of a life that abounds in hope. No matter what situation he faces, and he faced the worst situations, no matter what situation he faces, he is supremely confident that God is the God of hope and that he will see him through it. May the same be true of us. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we, we need hope. Father, we thank you that you are the God of hope. That as, as we look at our friends, as we look at our communities and our world that go through life without you, and, and we hear their stories of how, how hopeless ultimately it is, God, we thank you that you are the God of hope and that as you've brought us into, into your story, into your family, that you have brought us into the experience of hope. God, we praise you. We thank you for that. We pray that you would, you would cause us more and more by the power of your Holy Spirit to abound in hope that we would be more and more certain that you are the God of hope, that we would be more and more certain that you do work all things together for good, 
and that we would trust you. That we would trust you in, in plenty and, and in need. In all circumstances, that we would be able to truly say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We pray that, we pray that that would be true today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.